Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I think it's worse for people like that to lose. You know, when you convince yourself and try to convince everybody else about how untouchable you are and you get embarrassed. It's more, I mean, it's embarrassing to lose, but I think it's more embarrassing to lose when you made yourself all proud. God said, look, let him who thinks he stand take heed, least he fall. Do you think you stand on your own? You think you're strong enough? You think you can do it in your own strength? God said, take heed so that you don't fall. I don't want you to fall. He's not putting you down. God said, take heed, be careful, right? None of us stands on our own. We all know what it's like to need a little help. No matter your background, we've all needed a hand at one time or another. But when you go on and on about how you don't need anyone's support, then it's a little embarrassing when you actually do. Pastor Bill reminds us today that not one of us can truly stand on our own. We all need encouragement and assistance at times. Don't be so prideful that you can't accept someone's helping hand. Without God, we're nothing more than wandering sheep. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. The third thing in verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Now, this points uh, to a story we haven't got to in Numbers yet. We'll be there in about five, four weeks in Numbers 25 where uh, Balaam, and Balaam was a prophet. Balak was trying to get Balaam to curse the people of God, and he was, it, was a, it was a messed up prophet. He was trying to pay him off to pronounce a curse on God's people. And every time, and he was willing to do it, and every time he tried to do it, he would get, it, it, a blessing would come out. Like God wouldn't let him speak a curse over Israel. And then he said, you know what, though? I know I, I know where to get him. Right. I, I, God's not I can't I can only say what God gives me. I can't speak a curse over him. But I tell you what, you bring up some of them foreign women and let them come up and entice the men in their tents and have intercourse with them and then have them women tell them, hey, worship, set up an altar to my God. And, and he said now and then God will turn his back on them. And it worked. The people were weak in that way, sexual morality. And so all these foreign women came down. They went into the tent and after, you know, they were having intercourse with the men and they were asking to worship their gods. And then it brought them into a place of disfavor with the Lord. And God says, as that happened, he said, 23,000 people fell dead. God said, don't get into sexual morality. We live in a sexual, sexually immoral culture. What is sexual morality for you guys that don't know? Sexual immorality is any form of sexual activity outside the the confines of a marital relationship. Um, Sex is created by God for pleasure, for unity and oneness, for procreation to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in marriage. Boom. That's what he made it for. So you take that take that that same thing anywhere else. Take sex and put it into your boyfriend, girlfriend thing. That's sexual morality. Take sex and have it all by yourself. That's sexual morality. Take sex and look at it on a computer screen. That's sexual morality. Take sex and and contort the picture and put two men or two women. That's sexual morality. All those things would be considered sexual morality. God says in this culture, that was the form that they did was it was fornication and maybe some adultery as they had sex with these women as they came by pretty much acted like animals. Um, And God said they died for it. And you know what? There are people today dying because of sexual morality. It's happening. The church should be different, right? We live in a, I live in a world, I know the world that I live in is immoral that way. And, and we're going to love them and witness to them and share with them, but don't be partakers with them, right? Don't, don't become just like the world in which we live. We shouldn't have the same rate of 
sexual morality as the world does. It should be different. If you up in this church and you come here every week and you living with a boyfriend or girlfriend for it, you should feel some kind of way. I hope you're uncomfortable. I hope it's real uncomfortable. I hope it's so uncomfortable you leave or stop. But, you know, that's that's for real how I am. I, I don't think you should be able to be comfortable just continuing on. You're not right with God living like that. You got to repent of those behaviors. He loves you. If you repent, he'll forgive you and he'll help you do better. But don't feel like you could just stay that way and that God's going to be OK with it. He's not OK with it. And that's again, I read stuff like this and I'm like, God, because you didn't have to kill him. Right. You could have just like spanked him. You could have like you could have cut the food off. You could have said, I'm going to take away the shade for a while. I mean, you could have done lesser. See, this is when you this is when you study. When I look at the things that God said, they died for that. That's telling me that that's kind of serious then. Right. Even though we're not we're under grace. That's what messes us up. So we're under grace. So we don't get the, the uh, God's not smacking you down, you know, right when you do something. And so people get like, well, I'm a, God must be OK with it. No, no. You storing up wrath. For the day of judgment. It's not it's not OK. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I know I've shared this before, but my my I got a brother 10 years older than me. And my dad is a pretty mellow man. Uh, but my dad was the disciplinarian in the home. And I remember my brother, I, I must have been six and he was 16, uh, somewhere around there. But my brother had went out when he was not supposed to. And we shared a bedroom. I was on the bottom bunk. My brother was on the top. And my dad realized he wasn't there and he boom in his car and got him and he came back. And I remember just being in the room and my dad came in there with the big man belt. And now my brother, you know, when you six, a 16 year old is like a grown man. You know, he's six foot tall at the time or whatever. And I watched my dad give it to him. And I was like, I remember my dad, my dad still teasing me. Today. He said, you came into my room the next day and said, Dad, dad, whatever he did, I'm never going to do that. <laughs> I mean, that whooping, I mean, I, I was, you know, I was getting a little six year old butt tap whooping. But I was like, nah, whatever he did, I, mean, I ain't never going to do that. And I was I was dead serious. I'm like, so so what did he do? So I make sure that I don't do that, you know. And there are things when it comes to the Lord where it's like, God, you, you feel that strong about that? Then let me make sure that's not on my resume. Let me make sure I'm not partaking of that because because you dealt with that pretty severely and pretty heavily. And so 23,000 died because of sexual immorality. And then number four is in verse nine, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. This is what we covered this past Thursday. If you guys remember, they were there uh, in the in the wilderness and continuing. This is in Numbers 21, continuing in their in their disobedience to the Lord, disobedience to what he would want. And God, God ended up destroying them or God sent serpents to to deal with them. Um, the people were journeying. They were getting discouraged and and they started again. They went to complain. But when they would complain against Moses, they were really complaining against God. And they were accusing God of having brought them out here to kill him. So they were they, that was the thing that they did there. They're saying, God, you brought us out here to kill us. Now, these are the kids of the old generation. They're, they're saying the same stuff that their parents said. And we talked about that Thursday, how parents you can pass down your sinful attitudes to your kids. Dang, they wasn't even there. Right. That's how come racism passes on like it does. Some old racist mom and dad sharing your tidbits on a certain people group with your kids. And they grow up always having heard that and they picking that up from you. Make sure you all not doing that to your kids. Make sure you all not making kids feel different about other groups. They can love what they are. You know, our little brown kids or black kids ought to be proud to be black and brown and wherever they are. 
but make sure you're not instilling in them hateful stuff towards other groups. That's not that's not what God would have. Y'all know that? I hate that mess. And uh, I hate sometimes that it's the church people doing it. So hopefully not from Calvary Chapel Inglewood. We're not doing that. I'm telling my kid, love everybody. Love them all. You know, high five and slap them. You know, just, I mean, we're going to love everybody and, and be good. But then I want them to love who they are, too. You know, uh, my daughter's black, got black hair. And I remember having, they had some, some um, Harmony had some, some friends that were Hispanic. And she was like, how come my hair won't do like their hair do after we go swimming? I mean, your hair never do like their hair do after swimming. And I had to try to make her proud of making some Afro puffs. I said, now, now they can't do that. You know, make them puff, girl. They can't make one of them. You know what I'm saying? You got to go ahead and love what you are because your hair ain't going to never, you can't do nothing to your hair to make it do that after water. So I digress. Anyway, um, but it says that they, they tempted the Lord there. And God, what God did, as they complained, God sent serpents. And there were serpents in the ground, and the serpents started biting the people. And then God had Moses to make a, a, a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. If you look to the pole, look to the serpent, you'll be healed. If not, you refuse to, you won't. And we talked about that Thursday. I won't go all into it this morning. But that was a in John 3, as Jesus was ministering to Nicodemus, he goes back to that story and says, it's really a picture of the cross, right? That in the same way that he's going to be lifted up on the cross and those who look to him will be forgiven. But those who won't look to him won't. And God has shown all these pictures that, that tie together. But their issue here was, again, they're complaining. That, that seems to be a thread that, that, are you hearing that in all of this, that God don't like it when we complain about our circumstance or what he's done or what he's doing? Um, verse 10, nor complain. Now he's just straight up said it. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. There is a reference to the, sp- the spies, again, that they went out and the, the 10 that came back and they were complaining. They were complaining that they, once they saw how the enemies looked, they were afraid. This is what was wrong about what they did. They complained and then they shared their complaint. So it's one thing if you're a coward and you won't step out in strength and you're afraid. It's another thing altogether when you're so scared, you want everybody else to be scared so that you don't feel bad about not doing it. People do stuff like that, that it's really their own fears and they want to put it off on you so that you don't do it either. So now I don't feel bad about not doing it because you don't do it either. You know, the worst thing you can do to somebody that's walking in fear do what they won't do in front of them, right? That's going to convict them or encourage them, but it won't leave them where they are. They're going to be impacted by it. But that's what those spies did. They said, we're afraid to go. So they brought a bad report back to everybody else and everybody else. We're not going. And they wouldn't go. That thing upset the Lord and they were destroyed by the destroyer in that instance. And so another lesson there that we wouldn't let, first of all, we wouldn't let fear overtake us. And if you are afraid, you better keep it to yourself until you get over it. Don't be sharing your fears. Um, I've shared with you guys many times. I've had things that were, they were, you know, I, I was dealing with fear. I'm not going to tell my wife. You know, you guys know my daughter, Harmony. She's the globe trotter. I ain't always been good with that. She's like, Dad, I feel like God wants me to go to Peru. Well, you, you with seventh grade. No, you know, but, uh, but she went. You know, I prayed about it. And I'm like, I, I don't have, I can't tell her no. I feel like, you know, I got to trust God and let her go. And every trip she's gone on, she's been blessed and grown and challenged and strengthened and built up. But I pray. If God would have say no, I would say, babe, I prayed about it. God said no. But you know, every time I pray about it, even when I pray about it, hoping God will say no. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, 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 where she's at now in Florida, I was like, God, can you just say no? Is it the, they got a school in Costa Mesa she can be at. A, I can find another place in California. And the Lord was like, no, she let her go. 
And she's out there growing and being blessed and benefiting. But in those moments where I'm feeling fear, I don't go to my wife and say, I'm so scared. Oh, my goodness. The bad guys and people and this, that and the fifth. It's like, no, I got to take that to the Lord and get it dealt with. You know, that can't lead in fear. Um, When she calls and asks, I can't say, no, you can't go because I'm scared. God doesn't want us to be walking in fear. and He doesn't want to pass it on. He really wants us walking by faith and passing that on. That we take steps of faith and we trust God beyond what we can see and we share with other people that that encourage them also to walk by faith. That's what he really wants us to be about. Moving on to look at verse 11. Now, all these things and I circle the word all all these things happen to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And I just got to bring us back to why Paul shared these things. Remember, he's been talking about liberties. And using our liberties in a healthy way, he's pointing back to all these examples, how the Israelites did not use their liberties wisely. They had liberty. God had set them free from Egypt. All these examples are after they were set free from Egypt and how poorly they used the liberty God had given them. And so some of us have come to Christ. We've been we've been brought out of the world in a sense and we've been brought to Christ. But now we're not using our liberty in Christ in a way that's edifying, beneficial, strengthening or causing us to grow Even though we've been brought out, but we're not using it correctly. And so we're supposed to learn from their examples. And so if you're lusting after evil things, dealing with idolatry, committing sexual morality, tempting Christ, complaining as they were doing, God would say, all those things, stop it. All those things are not what I want for you to be doing. Now, he says this, verse 12. Now, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. That is a word for us. Let the person that thinks they stand take heed, lest he fall. You're proud. You feel like, I got this. I'm okay. The one that thinks he stands, there's, there's got to be a humility about how we walk this thing out. You ain't got this. Some of us watched the UFC fights last night. And the interesting thing about those fights, it's rare that you see somebody humble, first of all, in the fight game. But some of the people that were, you know, extremely arrogant you know, recently, extremely proud of themselves, extremely confident and cocky about how well they would do and nobody could beat them, have been beat. I think it's worse for people like that to lose, you know, when you convince yourself and try to convince everybody else about how untouchable you are and you get embarrassed. It's more, I mean, it's embarrassing to lose, but I think it's more embarrassing to lose when you made yourself all proud. God said, look, let him who thinks he stand take heed, at least he fall. Do you think you stand on your own? You think you're strong enough? You think you can do it in your own strength? God said, take heed so that you don't fall. I don't want you to fall. He's not putting you down. God said, take heed. Be careful. Right. None of us stands on our own. We stand in who we stand in Christ. He is our strength. He is our hope. He is our foundation. We we're we're firm when we stand in him. He holds us, keeps us. And that's the position of strength for the believer. I stand in Christ, not on my own, not on my own two feet. I stand in him. I'm dependent upon him. He is my strength. That's a position of strength for the believer in Christ. Amen. Last verse. And this is a verse every believer should commit to memory. It's one of those things that the enemy will never remind you of, but you need to know it. It Says this. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common. And then it says, but God. And that's it. I circle that. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And here God says, look, 
There isn't any temptation. Everybody here is going to suffer with different temptations. We're all different. Um, many of us, our temptations are going to be directly connected to what we used to be. So if you used to be, uh, you know, if you used to be somebody that was a bad attitude and a brawler and a fighter, then that's going to, you're going to be tempted with that. If you used to be a mouthy, cussing, fussing, something, something, that's going to be your temptation. If you used to be out there drinking and partying, smoking and whatever you used to be, we're all tempted with different things. And I'm not tempted with, some of y'all are tempted with, and y'all won't be tempted, but we all have temptations and they're not uncommon. Says no temptation is overtaking you except that which is common. You're not the only one dealing with what you're dealing with. So however weird your weaknesses may seem to you, God says, you're not the only one. Life's been going a long time. There's, there's tons of people deal with what you're dealing with. You're not alone. You know, it's not an uncommon thing except that which is common to man. And it says, but God is faithful, right? God says, I limit what I allow to come your way. God is faithful who won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. God's like, I put a limit on what can come your way. So even if a temptation comes my way and it seems like this is a really difficult temptation, I got to know by faith in this verse that God has not allowed me to be tempted beyond what I'm able with his help, of course. But if I'm being hit with this temptation, I can handle it because God could have prevented it. Anybody read the book of Job and said, I couldn't handle that. That's why it didn't happen to you. <laughs> I mean, I read Job and I'm like, I don't know if I can handle that. And that's probably why it didn't happen. I've read some certain you know, things in scripture. And I'm like, I don't know. That one right there. If a man slap you on the one cheek, turn to him the other. I don't know. I don't know if I'm not saved yet. You know, I don't. I'll never know until I get there. I, I still don't know if I'm not saved. You know, I, I I hope I never find out. You know, thankfully it haven't happened. You know, and so won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But then he says this: with the temptation, will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So if I'm getting hit with a temptation, I know I can get out without sinning. I know that I don't have to succumb. I know that I don't have to give in. I don't have to give in. It's a choice. What Jesus has made available to me and to you as children of God is a choice. Non-believers can be in absolute bondage and they don't have a choice. They are in bondage. They, they, Satan has a grip on them. But God says, you, my kids, you guys have a choice. I won't allow it to be more than what you can handle. And I, I'll make a way of escape. If you want out, I'll make a way out. I'm, I'll, I'll make an out for you. When I was first giving my life to the Lord and I had my first, you know, I had this first little stretch of time free of alcohol and I was feeling, you, I mean, I can't tell y'all how good I was feeling about myself. I mean, I was feeling like I am a new man. I am transformed. I have not had a drink. Some other stuff I hadn't been doing. I was feeling like, man, I am, I'm a new creation. I felt great. Then I went to my, one of my best friend's house and I thought, I'm going to go watch the Laker game, you know, with my buddy, you know, and I got to the door. And as I went to the door, now this guy, my best friend, he knew my favorite drink. So I got to the door and he was like, hey, what's up? And then he put it on the table. Grand Marnier. That was my, that when I had money, that was my drink. I hope I don't stumble you Sunday morning. But he had that there. He said, boom, I got you, man. I got it. And he was like, I mean, he was, you know, you took it to what for our friend. He was being nice. He was saying, man, look, took care of you. Man, I got you. No beer. I got you your favorite drink. Uh, and I remember seeing it. And before I got saved, I'd have been like, I'd have been all about that. And I saw it and I was like, I didn't even know how to act yet. I was just a new Christian. I didn't go in there and say, hey, I give my life to Christ. I don't do that anymore. I, was, I really wasn't there yet. And I remember sitting there and just being like, man, I, I, I don't want to get it. I don't want to drink. I'm afraid. I know, I know if I drink it, it, I go all the way back. It's not, I don't do anything a little bit. And so I'm sitting there and this is before cell phones. My pager went off. 
Now, he didn't know I had also quit selling weed, but my pager went off. This is my way of escape. I was like, man, I got to get this. I'll be right back, but I got to get this. And I, I, I got up and I got in my car. He thought I was getting ready to go get some money and come right back. But I got in my car and that was the Lord said, you cannot hang out with him and walk with me. And I, I, that was my way of escape. And I left and I didn't go back. You know, I didn't go back now. You know, I, what the most ethical thing. I probably told a lie or something like that. But I didn't go back and have that grandma. Yeah, you know, I never went back and got it, you know. But I look back to that and I think God made a way of escape. Like I had that was my beep, beep, beep. And it was like, OK, I, I think it on my feet. I got to get up out of here. I got to get up out of here without drinking on that drink. You know, he does that for us. He makes it possible that we could escape without being ensnared. And so if you're looking for the out, it's there. Some of y'all. Right. You can't walk into something bad and be like, I didn't see the way of escape. You, you, you know, we, we, we know on the front end, there's some places we just don't belong to begin with. So you can't walk in the club and then have a couple and get to shaking it. And then say, I was looking for the way out. I never saw it. The, the way out. The way out was that feeling when you was going to leave to say, don't go. You know, so this is that this stuff that just comes up as we're just trying to walk forward with the Lord. So. Remember this, you guys. God said, I wrote the mistakes of the past, not to put them down, not so that the church of latter day would look at the Israelites of former times and look down upon them. But I wrote these things so you guys would know what I don't like, know what it cost them. You wouldn't know how to walk with me. And then he's telling us here after you look at all that, he's saying, look, look, and I know you're going to be tempted. I know you guys are weak. I know it. I know I picked the weak group. But I love you guys. And I'm, I'm, I am I am dealing with I'm filtering through. The temptations. I'm not letting it come stronger than what you're going to be able to handle. I mean, that, that should comfort you. That God is saying, look, I, nothing can happen to you that's not father filtered. Think about that next time something bad happens. God saw that before I got hit with this, God saw this coming and God knew that I could handle it. That's what this word tells me. That this, it, it may shock me, it may catch me off guard. Oh, and I'm like, oh, God, God saw this coming. And he knew it. Father filtered. He he allowed it. He could have prevented it. He let it go by. And I'm going to be OK. I'm going to make it. I'm going to be all right. This is I, this, this is not have to be why I fall. This is not have to be why I sin. This is not have to be why I fall away from the Lord. I, I'm going to continue to walk in victory because that's what he tells me I can do. Amen. And so I do encourage us, you guys, that we would we would seek to walk in victory. And with regard to our liberty, I'm going to tell you the wrong question to ask and the right question to ask. The wrong question to ask concerning your Christian liberty is, is it a sin? Can I do this? Is it OK? If my girlfriend, can, can we can we how much can we do? Can we kiss? Can we touch? Can we dip, dip, dip? You know, is it a sin? It's how far can I go before it's actually a sin? You know, can I have a drink? Um, but then don't get drunk. So how many drinks can I have? Can I have two drink minimum? How many, you know, is it a sin? That, that's the question that immaturity asks. This is what maturity asks. Does it edify? This is going to help me out in my walk with the Lord. This is going to bless the people around me in my walk with the Lord. That's the better question. Not is it a sin. You, you keep asking, is it a sin? You're going to be in sin. You're going to be living right on the line, trying to toe that line. If I told you that the cliff was right here, I would think you were very stupid to try to get as close as you could to the cliff. If I told you the cliff is over there, I would expect you to be hanging out over here, far away. I, I don't want to accidentally tip off the, the edge, you know. And so some Christians try to live right there on that border. Is, can I get away with this much and still go to heaven? Is this all right? And they live right there. A very mediocre, up and down, failing Christian experience where 
if I know the line is here, I want to be backed up off that line. Not is it a sin, right? Beyond that at a point. Does it edify? Is it going to help me grow and help the people around me grow? That is the better question. Amen. First Corinthians touches on how the city of Corinth was rampant with idolatry and immorality, not too different from cities of today. Does this mean that you run away and isolate yourself from the sinful world? No, but Paul's letter did communicate that as a Christian, it's important to live a life that's upright and pure before God, even in the midst of a dark and sinful world. When the pressure is great, your opportunity to contrast the dark with light can be even greater. How does one do this with all the influences pressing in? Keep looking to the Word of God for direction in all things. If you're seeking some assistance with where to read, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide to help you explore the Word on a daily basis. Look on our website, CalvaryInglewood.org. Thank you for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through 1 Corinthians. Before we go, we'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry financially. Any amount is appreciated. These teachings are broadcast on the radio and help spread the good news of the gospel. That's a powerful thing. If you'd like to find out more about how to support A Transforming Word, go to CalvaryInglewood.org or donate through our app. We're so thankful for your support and more than anything, we hope this ministry has been and continues to be a blessing to you. We look forward to joining Pastor Bill again next time right here on A Transforming Word. Transforming Word